Father, we look to you as our, as our solid rock, um, dressed in Christ's righteousness alone. That's our hope. But that also is your declaration to us, um, that that is indeed what has transpired for those of us who are in Christ. We have indeed received his righteousness, and in, upon that we rest, we stand, we live, and we praise your name. So be glorified tonight, Lord, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John 5 is where we are tonight. We'll be in verses 18 through 29. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open up there, scroll down on your device, whatever you brought with you, just something to be able to follow along in, in the Word. Um, Last week, we saw how Jesus came to fulfill the Sabbath. I don't know last week if I ever even said the title of last week's message. It was the Lord of the Sabbath. And tonight, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the Lord of life. And we looked at last week how the law had become central to life um, for the Jews. Um, the, role, the law was central to living life, getting life, defining what life is. The law had replaced God, and because of that, it had replaced the gospel. Uh, Jesus' ministry was comprised of not just restoration of what it is that had been lost in the fall, but of, of a surpassing of what was initially in the beginning. Jesus came, and he put God at the center. He keeps him there eternally, and God, who is the greatest gift of the gospel, would eternally be our source of rest and life. And so Jesus comes and he tells us, he draws our eyes to him as him being the source of man's rest. And in having rest in him, then we can joyfully, sacrificially um, work from that rest. As, as Paul would say, you know, I pour my life out like a drink offering. We can do that because we have a firm rest in him. And Jesus created that rest. He, he established that rest. He drew us into that rest and it, we're secure in that rest. But not just rest in him. What we're going to see tonight is that he is the life giver. And in him, if we are in him, we have true life. Not just like to come at some point, but the believer has full true life right now. Because he, the judge has spoken. He has made his divine eternal decree on our behalf. And because he has said it, as, some, as people have said before, if he says it, that settles it. And because he has made this divine decree, we can know that we indeed have life. And that should, that should change. That should affect the way in which the believer views life and lives life. And so I want to read John. You can follow along with me. John chapter 5, 18 through 29 tonight. We're going to have two points. I'll admit right up front, my, point, my time and my points tonight are totally lopsided. Like 90% of the sermon tonight, message tonight, is going to be point number one. And then the next 10% is like point number two. Point number two is just kind of like the icing on the cake it, or, or the cherry on top. It should be if I've done my job well in point number one. So anyways, let's, let's read John chapter 5 verses 18 through 29, and then I want to draw our attention to two things that I pray are, are helpful and honoring to the Lord tonight. John 5, 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, 
Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you might marvel." For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 18 serves as a bridge and really between what we saw last week, why why they're persecuting him because he's doing these things on the Sabbath, and his declaration, his, his public, open proclamation regarding his identity. And make no mistake about it, when, I mean, verse 18 tells us that when he calls himself the Son of God, he is, he is saying, I am God. That's what the, 518, that's exactly what the text tells us. Why are they, why are they not just persecuting him? They're persecuting him because he's doing these miracles on the Sabbath. They want to kill him, not only because he's doing these things on the Sabbath, but he's, he's, calling, he's making God his own father and thus making himself equal with God. That's the real problem. Because the rub is this. If this man is God and we are looking and evaluating his life, what we are faced with is the reality that we have not known who God is. If, if this man really is God, then our whole idea and perception of, of who God is has been completely wrong. And that, there's a lot at stake. I mean, they, they've grown up thinking that the law is how you get to be into fellowship with God. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. And if he is God, then they've been wrong and they do not have fellowship with God. That has a tendency to make people angry. And they understand very clearly what his claim is to be equal with God. He has come to, he has, he has overturned and redefined what the Sabbath is and their misuse of it. And now he's going to go even further. He's going to have the gall to say, I'm the judge. I am God 
the judge. And by the way, if you disagree with me, you stand in negative judgment. And he tells them that this is what he's doing. Not at some point. The last two verses say, yes, it will be definitively and clearly seen at some point in the future. But what he's saying is, what I am doing right now is passing judgment. As people right now in this ministry are passing from death to life as they come in, in contact with me and hear my voice and believe in me. It's, it's incredible. He's turning their entire world upside down. So I want us to um, look at, firstly, tonight, verses 19 through 27. Like I said, 18 is the bridge between the, really the two passages. We know now that their desire is to kill him, and Jesus is not um, a coward. Jesus is God in the flesh, and we see in verse 19 him actually push and press this issue even further as he illuminates divine truth to them. And so our first point is that Jesus gives divine, eternal, internal life now. Jesus gives divine, internal life right now in his ministry. Like I said, in verse 19, Jesus is pressing the point, truly, truly, right? I mean, it's, you look at verse 19, the first word is so, they want to kill him. So what does he do? He moves forward with revelation of divine truth to them. Truly, truly, you want to kill me? Truly, truly, I'm saying to you. And that, again, that, that phrase of truly, truly is you need to listen up because what I am telling you is absolutely authoritative and true. I say to you, the son, referring to himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I mean, he makes, he pulls no punches and makes, he doesn't want them to misunderstand him at all. The unison and the union between Jesus and God are, are one. He is effectively telling them we are one in essence. Guess what? I don't do, I don't do anything unless the Father is doing it. You want to know, if, if you really want to, you want to kill me because you think that I'm calling God my equal? All that God does, that's what I do. I mean, he's, when, I don't, you guys have probably seen the movie Christmas Story, and there's a scene in there where, like, the, the one boy is being dared to put his tongue on the pole, and he's like, do it. And he's like, no. He's like, I dare you. No. And then he's like, I triple dog dare you. And he's like, you skipped the double dog dare. Like, whoa. This is like Jesus, the, the triple dog. Immediately, he just goes for what it is and with great clarity as to what he's saying. If the Father, if God is doing it, I am doing it. In fact, I don't do anything unless God is doing it. Everything that I do can be perceived as God himself doing it. That's the, that's the harmony. That's the union that the Son and the Father have. I mean, this is such a wonderful passage to, to upgird your, your doctrine of the Trinity. The Spirit is not mentioned, but we know that anybody, why, why can't they receive this truth? 
because the Spirit is not illuminating it to them. Anybody who, hear, anybody who can look at Jesus and go, oh yes, anything that he does, surely God himself is doing. The only reason anybody can accept that or come to that conclusion is because the Spirit of God allows them to see that. The Trinity is oh, absolutely at work here. But Jesus is emphasizing his relationship um, between him and the Father. They are completely one in complete unison. Action, deed, and desire. And we see why in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. I talked about this was one of my end points on Sunday's message. Is what is the, the things that, the, that, that God takes pleasure in? And one of my points was God takes pleasure in the Son, and it comes out of this passage in John 5.20. And there are other places in John, too, where Jesus says the same thing. The Father loves the Son. And it's not just because the Son is doing what the Father is doing. The Father's always loved the Son. The Father's love for the Son is an eternal love. It, it, it's known no beginning and, is, and it knows no end because they are both one in essence. One, three in person, one in essence, equally sharing the divine essence with one another, eternally, always have been and always will. That's the doctrine of the Trinity that we believe in. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing in greater works than, he, than these will he show him so that you might marvel. You think that me healing a paralytic is something? That ain't nothing. Wait until you see what I have in store. Not just in reference to the resurrection, but primarily in reference to what he's doing within the sinner as they are born again and regenerated by his hand, by his decree. And we know that because verse 21 tells us, what is, what is it that they should marvel at? Not at the healing of a paralytic, not at the raising of a, of a dead person's son. What they should really marvel at is that for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Spiritually dead people are coming to life by the ministry of Christ. This is the divine mission that the Son has, this, this covenantal, if you want to put it in terms of the covenant of grace or redemption. This, this eternal covenant that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have had, that the Son would, would come and accomplish salvation and redemption for mankind. He's doing it. It's happening in real space and time. Guess what? It happened in real space and time in your life too. Anytime someone, you want to know what's a, a really marvelous thing? Not when paralytics can walk, but when sinners become saints sons and daughters of God. That's the real miracle. The fact that any of us have life, that's the divine miracle done on our behalf. And then it's as if he, he ramps it up even further in verses 22 through 27. 
identifying himself as the divine judge. He is the judge that has the power to change the internal nature of somebody. And he has such power and authority to do it that when he decrees it, it's done and it's sealed forever. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. I don't want to gloss over that part, but the Son gives life to those whom he is pleased to give it to. Salvation is all of God according to his divine election and purposes. Always has been. Always will be. The Father... This is really in verse 22 is where he continues to like even ramp it up more. The father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. Not only, not only am I do, everything do I do is what the father does, but my judgment is, 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 is divine judgment. I am God and, and when I speak and I judge, that's the way that it is. It's authoritative. Father judges no one, but gives, I mean, he's given all judgment to the Son. You see this relationship between the Father and the Son, this, this relationship of eternal love, where the Son is entrusted with complete and divine judgment. Why? Verse 23, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You know, we talk a lot about being Christ-centered. And I've even thought about this before. Why don't we talk about us being like triune God-centered? And I don't think that that's wrong for us to want to be Trinity-centric. But one of the things that you see from the text is that the Father wants the Son to be honored. He wants the Son to to be glorified. He wants the Son to be worshipped. Why does the Father give all judgment to the Son? That all may honor the Son. Complete judgment and authority and rights over all of mankind to act as supreme judge and authority has been given to the Son so that all mankind would look to the Son and honor Him and worship Him as He declares, as He, as he administers divine justice truthfully as he perceives it. And this is verse 24 and 25 might be my, my two favorites. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Who better to say that someone has escaped judgment than the judge himself? And what is the requirement for escaping judgment? Why would this really grind away at the, at the Pharisees, at the legalist? Because how do you escape judgment, according to the text? Whoever hears my word and believes escapes judgment, not whoever does whoever tries, whoever works really hard. You can, their whole life is built upon do, work, try. And he's saying completely wrong. You will never escape. Listen, 
I'm the judge. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to work. You do not escape my divine judgment by trying more, doing more, working harder. The only way to escape divine judgment is to hear and believe. That, that's the gospel. Receive, rest, hear, believe. There was a moment in time where you did not hear his voice. And at some point in your life, he, he spoke. Dan. Life. Dominique. Life. Brittany. Only Brittany was like Brittany, and she went, oh. <laughs> but he, you, you heard his voice. Why? Hearing and, and by the way, hearing and believing go together. Always. I mean, Jesus is going to press this point further in John 10 with his illustration of him being, my sheep hear my voice. They know. They come. Why? Because his voice is the first voice you heard when you were born again. As you were transferred from death to life, you heard his voice. And he brought you to life. And he says, verse 25, or end of verse 24, he does not come into judgment, right? The person who hears and believes does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's already been done. If you heard his voice and you believe, you never have to stand before the judge of eternal separation or glory. It's already, the judge has already been, he's already made the decree. And he's not reconsidering at any point. It's like, aren't you thankful for that? I look back upon just this, the previous week that I've had, and I'm like, can identify very clear places in which should have lost it there, should have lost it there. But because of his divine decree, I, I, I can't. I've already passed from life or from death into life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he's just, he's repeating again with the ver truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you. The hour is coming, but oh, the hour is here right now. The dead are coming to life. The spiritually dead are coming to life right now as I speak in my ministry. And he, doesn't he continue to speak? Aren't, though, aren't there people passing from death to life even now in our midst as he gives them life? Verse 26 and 27, again, he reminds them, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to ex execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He already has authority. He has authority, complete divine authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
when we were going through the Gospel of Luke, um, we saw that Jesus's, his favorite designation for himself was the Son of Man. And we, I feel like we, I was mentioned Daniel chapter 7 all the time. But because we see it in our text again tonight in John 5, I want to draw our attention specifically to Daniel 7. And, and if there, I want us to see something here that I think is really important for us to see. Daniel chapter 7 is the passage where we see, where Jesus is drawing from this designation of, of him being the Son of Man. And it's directly tied to his position of authority, of kingship, having an, an eternal dominion and kingdom. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He's saying, I have divine authority and, and can give, cast true judgment because I am the Son of Man. I am this one. All peoples, nations, and languages will come and they will serve me because my dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and my kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. But then drop down to verse 18. But the saints of the Most High, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the peoples of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey them. Do you see what he does? Everything that's ascribed to the Son of Man by way of dominion and eternity earlier in Daniel chapter 7 is ascribed to the saints of the king as well. He, Jesus in John 5 is effectively saying, I am the Son of Man. This kingdom that I have is eternal. Those who hear my voice and believe are now having life, have already passed from death into life, and as surely as I am the king and have received the kingdom, so shall they. And we will reign in glory forever. And guess what? Oh, may I remind you again, how do you get into the kingdom? Hearing and believing. He's like completely turned their world upside down. And they hate him. They hate him. And this is why they want to kill him. Second point, very quickly, verse 28 and 29. Not only does Jesus give divine internal life, he gives divine eternal life, which has already been alluded to, but he makes it clear in 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. I've already spoken of an hour which is here now in which those who are dead are coming alive because they hear my voice. They are passing from death to life. But an hour is still to come. There is an hour coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is still a day. And guess what? On that day, do you know when you rise from the grave, good, bad, saint, sinner, doesn't matter. Every single person 
Do you know whose face you're going to see when you rise again physically and you are assigned a physical, eternal destination, hell or heaven? Do you know whose face you're going to see? And it's as if he says, the one who is speaking to you. You may not believe my words that I am judge right now, but you will. There is going to come a day, mark my words, where everybody will then see that this face you see standing before you right now will be transformed by eternal glory and power, and you will not wonder at my position of judge at that time. It will be made very, very clear to you and to all that I am who I said I am. And when I said I was passing judgment, the judgment has been passed. And now that you stand before me, you will simply go to where your judgment lies. That is, for the saint, that's the best day. The best day. Because we're beholding the one that we love and we're going to hear Enter into my kingdom of glory forever. Why? Because we were faithful? Because we were good? No. Because you heard. That's it. All of this stuff that we're learning in Romans about propitiation and justification and imputation and righteousness. That's all happening. Jesus isn't talking about it here. He's not using that language, but that's what's happening. When, when, when sinful people in Jesus's ministry are coming from death to life, they are, Jesus is being their propitiation. They are receiving his righteousness. And those who hear and receive the robes of righteousness are ushered into heaven. That's the best day. But for those who don't know Christ, the unbeliever, and they did not believe his words of him being judged, it will be the worst. There will be no mistake on that day that he is the divine judge. The believer should have that in mind as they look upon and interact with a non-believer. And this is the reason why it's important to get the gospel right. Because the gospel is how people hear. The gospel message is how people hear and believe. And so we've got to get the gospel right when we talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever pack in any sort of law. Oh, yes, come to him by faith, but then make sure you also, da, 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 da. Hear and believe. Receive and rest in him. That's the gospel message. And that is the call of the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, this time that we've had tonight. We're here tonight, Lord, because we've heard your voice. We hear your voice in the word. In the word. We're all, I, I hope and pray that we're honest with ourselves when sometimes the distinctness of your voice is difficult because we've allowed other voices in the world to come in and cloud your voice.
Lord, may this be a time of clarity for us. Tune our hearts, Lord. Every time we come to the word, may we say, okay, I'm listening. Please speak. I want to hear more. Lord, we thank you that you have given us life. Use us, Lord, to to share the gospel with others so that they might hear your voice as well. All for your glory, for the good and the building up of your church, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and we will close with our last song together.